Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today we're talking how to develop the talent in your finance team. And I've got with me Marlo Lyons. Marlo, welcome to the Grow CFO show. Thanks, Kevin. It's great to be here. Marlo, tell me a little bit about you before we get into the topic. I've had multiple careers, transition careers multiple times from TV news reporter to lawyer to HR business partner to executive career and team coach. I think the one that's probably most relevant here is that I've supported CFOs, supported them from both an HR perspective as well as coach CFOs and their teams and their leadership capabilities and also how to work better together. We both know in startups, which I have worked in, that CFOs also could be in charge of IT and facilities and procurement and operations and sales operations. So I've supported them in all different areas of operations as well as on the finance side. That is brilliant. In Grow CFO at the moment, as we put this show out, we're running a quest. And the quest subject for this month for our premium members is all about evaluating their finance team, not the annual appraisal stuff. We're not talking about who your good performers are, who your poor performers are. We're talking about where's your finance function going? What size team do you need to get to where you're going? What skills do you need in the team? We're seeing a big change as well, because we know with all the automation that's going on, advent of AI, we're saying that, look, 60% of finance jobs won't exist in the next five to 10 years. That's right. But we'll probably employ just the same number of people in finance. So the things we do are going to be different. Very different. And it sounds like what you're talking about really is workforce planning. So you're talking about identifying great talent, but in order to do that, you have to workforce plan. And planning's hard. It really is hard. It takes time. And you have to have really solid company goals in order to figure out what talent you're going to need in the future and what talent you need today to keep the wheels turning and the irons running and all of that. If you are looking from an HR perspective and thinking about workforce planning, where would you start? First of all, they have to think deeply. And you have to think about everything from training and development, but also where are we today? Where do we need to be? And then what talents do I need today? And what talents do I need in the future? If you hire someone today with great skills, but they don't have the skills of where you need to be in the future, you're going to wind up laying them off. You're going to change their life and that's going to stink. If you hire somebody with skills for the future, because you're going to need it, but you're not going to be using those skills today, that person's going to be bored. So you're stuck in the middle there. So where I would start with is first look at the efficiencies in the automation. You start with figuring out how you're going to enhance productivity through efficiencies. What do we need today? What is the cost to serve? Is it production costs, distribution costs, technology costs, IT costs? What are the costs? And then you want to find a direct impact on lowering those costs with workforce planning. And you want to make sure that you're also mitigating risks. And that's where the talent comes in. Because you have skills gaps and talent shortages and you need continuity of operations. You want to make sure that you're minimizing the disruptions from layoffs in the future of people that won't have the skills and capabilities that you're going to need in the future. And you don't want turnover. You want to start looking at how do I either hire people today 
that have the skills I need today, but have learning agility? Or do I hire somebody who has the skills in the future, but tell them we're not ready for those skills yet? Make it very clear, be transparent. We need you to do this today, but I promise you we're going to get here with automation and other areas. So you're going to be doing those more critical functions that we're going to need. And we're going to need your skills to help us get there and then include them in those big conversations. So they feel like they're being developed toward that space of where they already have their expertise. I suppose the root in there is to say, we need to get to this place. You've got the skills to do it. Will you be part of leading our journey to get there? It really boils down to talent acquisition. How are you thinking about this? And that's where the workforce planning comes in. If you don't plan, we see what happens when companies don't plan. What happens? Layoffs. Layoffs. That's what we see. Absolutely. Layoffs, yeah. period. End of discussion, right? Layoffs. Because if they change their goals, that's one thing. But if you truly plan and you plan out and do those long-range models and you're planning three years, five years, eight years out, and you have a focus and the company is focused, you know what skills you need in those years. And then you know that you have X period of time to develop those skills or hire those skills. But if you don't plan, then you're just shooting darts at every different thing, trying to make the business go. And you're hiring the skills you need today, but those may not be the skills later. And that's what happens. They get laid off. And you've just destroyed people's lives, quite frankly, because their confidence is ruined and all sorts of things, because I also Hmm. career coach. It would be nice if companies plan. I suppose that the one thing that we should remind people about here is... If you're laid off, made redundant, it is not you, the individual, who is being laid off. It's your job. It's your job and it's your skill set. And we are all responsible for our own careers. So you are responsible, not your boss and not your company. You'd like them to upskill you, but you are responsible for being 100% of understanding where your job is going, if your job's going to disappear, and what skills you need to stay relevant. First thing we said is we've got a workforce plan. To workforce plan, we need a blueprint for what finance looks like five years to 10 years down the road. Tens far, but yes, you need to have an idea, especially from a technology perspective. So we've got that blueprint, what finance Mm -hmm. looks like. We can then think about the workforce plan, let's say. Mm -hmm. There will be some new skills needed. There will be some new roles needed. Now, we've also said there are going to be people in here that don't have those skills that could be laid off. And we've said that it's down to you, the individual, to upskill yourself. Don't necessarily rely on the company to do it for you. Let's just think, though, from the company point of view, how do you go about in your existing workforce spotting the talent? How do you go about spotting the people that are like to be good at the things they don't currently do? You can look at your talent and say, okay, John over here is wonderful at financial modeling or data analysis or technical skills, but can John lead in the future or can John learn other things? And spotting great talent isn't about the what, because if you've been hired and you're good at doing something, you probably have learning agility. With learning agility, meaning you can change into what you change, what you're learning, you can spot great talent by actually looking at the soft skills. I don't know if you've seen the World Economic Forum jobs report in 2023, because they really nailed it this year. When they talk about the skills that are needed in the future, six of the top 10 skills needed in the future are self-efficacy skills and working with other skills. So not technical skills, 
The number one skill is analytics, being able to analyze things, having critical analytic ability. But when you look at the top six, resilience, flexibility, agility, motivation, self-awareness, curiosity, these are self-efficacy skills. It's basically how do you look at your talent and see someone who is really great at forecasting, analyzing, things like that, but then also is able to control their own actions and reactions? Are they able to really do the job well and do it well cross-functionally? If you identify people who can do that, those are your leaders of the future. If you look at the working together skills, the empathy, the active listening, the leadership, social influence without authority is a huge soft skill. If you can influence cross-functionally and you can lead with empathy and curiosity and listening, again, that's where great talent is identified. Because you're looking for talent that can not just do the day-to-day. As people move up in their career, they're not doing the tactical work. They're doing the strategic work. And what is strategic work? Stakeholder alignment, stakeholder management, influence without authority, being able to work cross-functionally, playing politics, if you want to call it that, playing nice in the sandbox. (laughs) So if you want to really identify great talent, you have to focus on these soft skills because when you identify someone that has the hard skills and not the soft skills, you don't have leadership potential, period. You just don't. And that's where leadership and development programs need to focus. They need to focus on the soft skills because the employee should focus themselves on the hard skills and the company should focus on those skills that help things continue to move and be efficient and work well. Kevin, I've seen teams that hate each other. Yeah. So and they hate each other. They cannot function. They report into the CFO. They are not communicating and they have emotionally reasoned every person's actions. They will not communicate with each other, aren't transparent, and they don't share information. I've gotten them to a point where they go, oh, they realize all of their thought process of each other was wrong in the course of being transparent and having a safe space to open up and talk. If you spend your learning and development dollars actually on getting teams to get along and to work well and to get the muck out, that is where you find efficiencies. That is where you develop talent. That is how you get people to then replicate that in the future when they have a conflict (laughs) with somebody else. Yeah, I can see all that. And uh, having been in one of those teams that didn't get along with another team, that was a very interesting place to be. And certainly Working out how to manage that is no simple thing. It's not. And I do team coaching. And when you see either cross-functionally, because finance is the backbone to the entire company. Finance works with every department. Finance works across every department. And then finance also has to work together, right? Payroll has to work with tax. (laughs) Tax has to work with investors. Like It all has to work together. And I've seen finance not work together because there's just so much strife between finance kind of holding the toe in the line and the business wanting to spend dollars. Yeah. Finance saying you can't. And being able to say no by saying yes is a huge skill. People don't know how to do that. (laughs) Yeah. This is where the real soft skills come in. And one of the things that I'm seeing as being vital going forward is finance's ability to business partner. It's just like HR business partners. You shouldn't be a support function. You should be a driving function. Exactly. You should be able to drive the business and not just support the business yeah. and partnering with the business to understand the business needs. That's where that curiosity comes in. 
And instead of saying, nope, sorry, can't spend the dollars, you have to have the curiosity, the understanding, understand what the goals are, be able to help, be able to partner with the business and help them see, hey, I know you want to spend dollars here, but what if we did this? And you were curious and you were coaching and you were helping them see other ways of doing things where they're not spending as much money. In Grow CFO, we've got a finance business partnering bootcamp. It's run by Ollie oh. Deacon. Ollie is an ex-finance director from Microsoft and absolutely brilliant at teaching this stuff. One of the things that Ollie does in the bootcamp is say that, look, the finance person shouldn't be the person saying no all the time. If you go in there and they've got something they want to do and you say, no, that puts finance in the wrong place. If you go in there, not with a recommendation, but some alternatives, well, you want to achieve that. We can do it by method A, method B, method C. It gets them choosing between three ways it could be done rather than no, you can't do it. And that's what I try to teach executives is that when you're being asked to prioritize something, is it your job really to prioritize? Is it your job to do it or is it really somebody else's job and it's your job to either give suggestions or to coach them or to ask really good questions to help them come to a resonant understanding of what they need to prioritize, especially IT, because IT wind up having to prioritize everything, but it's not their job to prioritize. It's the leader's job. It's the business's job to prioritize. And here we're into that whole agenda about influencing without authority. I think that's going to become a bigger and bigger thing because it's not just the CFO partnering with the CEO going forward. It's members of the finance team partnering with their equivalents all over the business. And all different levels. You might have the skills, but they may not. So maybe you've developed yourself to understand how to influence, but they haven't developed that. And they're just like, I want this. And you have to know how to deal with that. And that's where a lot of the friction comes in because people aren't curious. Curiosity is really the foundation, if you think about being curious about why somebody's so adamant, why somebody needs something so badly, what pressures are they under? What are they expected to deliver? And without the curiosity and just saying, no, you are not going to be successful. You won't be a good leader and you won't be able to move forward in your career. Thinking about your existing team who might be doing fairly active tasks, doing lots of things that you'd say are hard skills and possibly not getting out from that Excel spreadsheet or whatever very often. Can you suggest any tools that might be useful to start assessing whether they've got the potential for these bigger, softer skills. I am huge on 360s. I believe in 360s. They can be formal or informal. I tend to use the one from Center for Creative Leadership, but any 360, any tool that your company happens to use, or you can do what I call informal 360s, because sometimes they won't do 360s under VP or under director. They will pay for it. Informal 360s, you can do yourself or... What I would do is I'd ask my boss to do it if I had a good relationship with my boss. And I'd say, hey, can you talk to these seven people? Can you find out what I'm doing really well, what I should continue doing, what am I not doing well, and what should I stop doing? Four questions. That's it. You will get so much back from that to be able to understand where to pivot. Now, here's the kicker to that. If you're going to do it yourself, you don't get to defend yourself in the process and you don't get to counter it. You just get to ask the question, take notes and listen. That's it. And ask follow-up questions. That's it. Then once you get it back, there's going to be things you don't agree with. There just are. And I always say, whatever you don't agree with, look at the 2% rule. If I believe that 2% of this was true, 
2% of each of the subjects that somebody talks about was true, what would I do to pivot? And if I could just get myself to believe 2% is true, maybe I believe most of it's not, but if 2% is true, what would I do to pivot? What would I do to change? And maybe even brainstorm with your boss or the other person that gave you the feedback. But the problem is with feedback, (laughs) it's judgmental. I've never seen a 360 that somebody didn't cower when they were getting the results. Doesn't matter what level you're at because it's judgmental. It's somebody judging you. And you have to step out of that and say, okay, this is a gift. This is supposed to help me improve how to work within this culture and this company, how to work with these people. That's the first thing that I would recommend. And the second tool I would say is succession planning. When you do succession planning, what you're doing is you're really completing those succession profiles. And the first part is identifying the talent. Who has the potential to take the role? But then you're doing succession profiles. And when you do that profile and you drill deep of what is their education, what is their experience, what are their cross-functional skills, what are their soft skills, hard skills, transferable skills, you can see what's missing to get to that next space. And if you have a company that does succession planning, and I help a lot of leaders do that, then you can identify, okay, we need this person to gain these skills. Now, what is the individual talent plan we're going to develop for that person to help them get there? Self-awareness obviously being the foundation that they're willing to get there, that they know they need to develop those skills, hard or soft. Those are the two big ones. What would you say about assessment tools like StrengthsFinder? Here's the thing about StrengthsFinder and Enneagram and all those others. What they miss are the values that are important to you. For example, if I have a strength of being operational, but it's really important to me to be strategic, It may not show up as a strength, but it may be important to me because I like to be in the big rooms with the senior leaders being strategic and thinking about the future. You miss pieces of what's important to you that you want to develop as part of and make them strength. Remember, corporations might use them. Here's why. Corporations want to put you where they think you can bring the most value. Steve over here can do A, B, C, and D. He would be great right there. I'm going to tap Steve on the shoulder. I'm going to move Steve over here. What corporations miss is that value piece of what does Steve want? Steve sees more money. Steve sees a higher title. So Steve takes the job. And then what happens? Steve calls me for career coaching. You know why? Because he hates his job. Because he was tapped on the shoulder his whole career. And he kept moving to all these great jobs. And Steve doesn't even know what Steve wants anymore. So he calls me. And then we wind up in career coaching, trying to figure out what Steve wants. And that's the piece the corporations miss. They miss what does Steve want? And to be able to coach Steve on what Steve wants and align that to what the corporation needs, that's the missing magic pretty much in every corporation. And what they're missing that whole first part, because that is what retention, then that's engagement right there. And Steve wouldn't be calling me and I wouldn't have a job. We're in a position where there's going to be a great shift from what folk are doing now something else. In that process of identifying people, doing the succession planning, how do we bring that values piece then? You need to have people who are trained in how to do values exercises, who can bring out people's values and really define what those values are, and then translate those to skills and capabilities to understand what somebody wants and what skills are applicable to that. If you do that piece, then you align it with what the company needs, you will find a very happy and engaged employee. And this is all levels, Kevin. This is not even at the highest levels because I work at all levels. I see so many people who are just not happy. But here's the kicker. You also have to be open 
but they may not want to be in finance forever. I'd also argue that if you are looking to be the CFO, then Mm -hmm. some time spent outside of finance will also be very valuable to you and to the rest of the business. And if you get somebody who understands what they want to do and they don't feel stuck or tapped on the shoulder or put in places that the company needs. Now, mind you, again, that's the company's interest. If you marry it with the individual's interest, that's where you grow. That's how companies grow. And that's how you don't lose people. So we're going to do a values exercise. Find your values and then attach skills to those. You've given us one example of what you want to do. But that's not everything, is it? What sort of values are we talking about? Can we list a few out? So let's take analytics. So I like to be analytical and not necessarily me, but somebody likes to be analytical. And I say, what does that mean to you? I like to really dig into spreadsheets and I like to figure out where the numbers fit. If I talk to somebody else, analytical might mean I like to really dig into the numbers and then help the business grow. Those are two different values. Same word, analytical, two different values. Let's take the one about helping the business grow. What are the skills you need to be analytical? You need hard skills. You might need Vizier. You might need Tableau. You might need to use Excel. You might need critical thinking. You obviously need data analysis. Those are all hard skills. What are the soft skills? Now we said helping the business grow, cross-functional teamwork, influence without authority, stakeholder alignment, stakeholder management. Those are all skills that you need. Those skills You want to align to the next job. So you look for jobs in that. Now, again, that's one value. If you did all your values and you said, okay, I also like being operational. I really like making sure everything's running smoothly and looking for efficiencies. Again, that means hard skills, process, maybe Six Sigma, maybe lean if you work in manufacturing, maybe process improvement or process excellence or continuous improvement. Those would all be hard skills. Soft skills are very similar than the ones we just talked about. You do all of those things. Then you look for the job that aligns with your values and the skills that you just identified. That's where people find happiness and gloriousness and fulfillment in everything they want to do. When people don't identify their values and they get tapped on the shoulder, which, and they see, okay, more money. Yeah, that's great. That'll pay for my lifestyle. And they see a higher title, great, I'm moving up in my career. Eventually, there's some of those values they didn't identify that aren't fulfilled. And if those values become more important than the other values, especially as you get older, your values change before you have kids, after you have kids, things like that, you're not fulfilled anymore. So what fulfilled you once doesn't fulfill you anymore. So that's why I take people from values all the way to fulfillment, which is the end of figuring out that career that aligns with their values and their skills. That's why I don't focus on strength, because going back to your strengths question, flexibility could be a value. It's never going to be a strength. I want to work at home, or I want flexibility to go to my kid's soccer game. I want flexibility to be hybrid. That's a really important value for people, and you have to know what that means for you. It's going to be different. A while ago on the podcast, I had uh, Felix Ferrari on the program. We talked about developing strategy, and we got into a values conversation there. And we were talking about the strategy team having Mm -hmm. to be clear on their values being aligned to the company's values Mm -hmm. and in turn, those values being aligned to the rest of the workforce with Mm -hmm. the idea being that actually, what's the difference between an A player and a C player? An A player is somebody whose values align to the company's values. A C player 
might not be an underperformer, but their values are different to the company's values. That's why culture is so important. And when people are hiring, they're not interviewing for skills, they're interviewing for culture fit. 99% of the time, it's will this person be able to fit in this company? And will they be successful? Nobody wants somebody to leave in a week or two weeks or a month. And so that culture fit is your values and how you align because the hard skills are the easy part. They really are. Technically speaking, you can get better at it. You can absolutely be better at data analysis, but the soft skills are where you become a leader. That's how you grow. And I don't think people realize that because there isn't great career pathing or career mapping, I should say across organizations. Organizations are concerned about putting it in writing because they're afraid people will go check, check, promote me. And that's not what promotions are. (laughs) So you get companies that just keep going and yet they don't have clarity or transparency around these areas. And that's when people leave and you have lack of engagement and lack of efficiencies and all sorts of problems. I always remember a situation on a, a consulting project back when I was working at PwC. And There was a a guy who had done a few little things for me on my part of the project. And we had a role on the wider project. And I was on the phone to my project director, Alan, and I was praising the skills of this particular person. And Alan cut to the chase and said, you're the sort of person that I could take to the pub on a Saturday night to meet my friends. That's the difference. That is the difference. And that's where talent acquisition, when you start talking about hiring people, they really want to know, can I have lunch with you? Can I sit there and have a conversation with you? Do I like you as a human? It's all judgment, if you think about it, right? We're all, everybody's judging everybody. But really, the judgment is, are you like me? And then, of course, you get to the point where there's a lack of diversity and all these other things. But I look at diversity very different than most people. I look at it as connection and curiosity and those areas. I don't look at it as just, are we hiring people of different ethnicities or religions or things like that? I think having that kind of diversity around the business is really useful because we don't want everybody thinking about things with the same point of view. We don't. We want loans of ourselves. We want something different brought into the business. We do. And you absolutely don't want people all thinking the same way. And you want people from different cultures and different ethnicities and different religions and different thought processes. It really boils down to a few things. It boils down to connection. Do I have a connection with you? Can I create a connection with you? And the connection really goes back to humanity, right? Like we're all humans. We're human beings. We're not human doings. So do I have a connection with you? Can I be curious? Can I show some curiosity? If I don't have a connection with you, can I be curious to find a connection with you? Do I have enough curiosity in my heart and soul to want to do that? Am I willing to communicate with you in a way that is effective so that you can understand why I'm talking to you a certain way or why I'm doing a certain thing? Can I find that commonality with you? Can I find ways that we can work together and understand each other and have that common work ethic? That goes back to what you were saying about culture. It all boils down to values and it all boils down to, am I interested in others enough to find a common understanding with each other? So, Marla, we've looked at great deal here on values. We've looked a great deal about spotting the potential of people you've already got. No doubt at some point in this process, you're going to have to go out to the job market and you're going to have to recruit people. 
the job market is a competitive place. Now, you'll have a whole load of requirements written down on a piece of paper. How close to those requirements do you think you need to stick to be successful? Because the person that ticks every box either isn't out there or five other companies want to employ them. In a competitive market, it's not so much what's on your list. It's really what can you do for me? (laughs) Most companies look at servant leadership. You're here to serve me corporation. But we are now at a place with Gen Z and also just after COVID where people are saying, what are you company doing for me? So you don't need to necessarily stick to that list if you find somebody who aligns with your values. Most job descriptions, if it says five years experience, you have trouble hiring somebody with three years experience because then you need to open it up to all people with three years experience if you're really willing to do that. So you have to stick to some things. Does somebody have learning agility? Are they able to learn? Are they able to grow? Ask them questions about, tell me about a time you had to learn something from scratch. What did you do? What was your process? And if you can really understand whether they have the soft skills to succeed, then you can teach them anything from there. And then they don't have to have all the skills. It all depends on how urgent it is that they ramp. Will you give them time to learn? Will you give them any support in learning? Things like that. But going back to it, when it comes to attracting talent, it's about what are you doing for me? And so that's you looking at the talent. Now let's look in reverse. What are you doing for me? And talent is looking for career pathing. They are looking for where can I go from here? What if I don't want to stay in finance? Can I transition or transfer my skills somewhere else? They're looking for mentorship. They're looking for, do you assign a mentor, both for onboarding and long-term? Or can I, do you give me three to choose from so I can see who I connect with? Because mentorship is really about connection. They're looking for work-life balance. They're looking for what are you going to do for me at the end of the quarter when I'm working 18-hour days? <laughs> Are you going to bring in pizza or are you just going to expect me to work till midnight? What do you do for your teams? How do you create that camaraderie? How do you create that feel? People always say, we're not a family. And if you ever leave a company, you'll know you're not a family because you never hear from people again. (laughs) But while you're at a company, people want to feel like they're at a family. (laughs) Absolutely. One of the things you're saying in there is that if you pick somebody who ticks every box on your wish list, they probably haven't got anywhere to develop, have they? They probably don't. They might be overqualified. However, you have to really think about, can they also gain the skills you need in the future? Everybody has room to develop. I have room to develop. You have room to develop. None of us are perfect. So there are areas to develop for sure. The question is, do you need somebody who has all the skills now because you don't have time to ramp somebody and you're behind the eight ball and you're just, you need somebody now? So that might be the right talent at the moment, but without the learning agility, will they be able to be the right talent two years from now, three years from now, four years from now? So you have to really understand whether or not they can continue to grow, continue to learn. Can they do it on their own? What kind of support do they need to do it? I wouldn't necessarily rule out somebody that has all the skills, but I would definitely understand where they think they need to grow. And if somebody says they have nowhere to grow, then that's probably not the right person (laughs) for your company because it's a lack of self-awareness. None of us are perfect. Marlo, that has been absolutely fascinating. We've covered a huge amount there. And I I think there are some great things for people to be thinking about when they're evaluating what they've got now, thinking about what they're going to need in five years' time, thinking about people they've got now fit into what's there, thinking about the workforce plan, thinking about when to recruit, who to recruit, 
all of that thing about values. Brilliant. Huge amount for people to learn. There's a lot to do. And hopefully companies have an HR business partner to help them or coach or someone to help them do these this hard work because it's hard work to plan. Yeah. It's not yeah. easy. Mm. It's much easier to live in the day-to-day. Definitely. So you just sold the role of the HR business partner sitting next to the finance person, mm. help them plan this through. And the finance person's helping the business plan it through. Yeah. Marla, tremendous. Thank you for having people, me, Kevin. If people want to know more, how do they get in touch with you? Sure. They can reach out to me through my website. It's www.marlolionscoaching.com. And they can uh, reach out through there. Happy to respond. If anybody needs help with any of these areas, obviously I have a background in it and I work with a lot of leaders on it. So brilliant. Thank you hugely for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO Show. Thank you, Kevin. It's been really fun. 